We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late. I was talking to Robert Kraft. Pro Football Talk. I wouldn't listen to some of those people out there, especially guys like Mike Florio. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Everything is happening in the NFL, and Mike Florio is on the Circus Sports Illinois hotline and twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the score. Mike, there we've got the Titans hiring Brian Callahan and Matt LaFleur parting ways with defensive coordinator Joe Barry. What's top of mind for you right now? Yeah, thanks, Joe Barry, for putting together a defensive game plan that shut down the Dallas Cowboys. Now pack your stuff and leave. So. Uh, but look, this is what happens when a season ends. You take a look back at what went right, what went wrong, and you make your decisions accordingly. That's what every team does that ultimately fails, and only one team ultimately succeeds. I'm still watching and waiting to see what happens with the big names. Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Jim Harbaugh, and even a little sprinkle of Pete Carroll because I can't can't believe that no one has given him any consideration, at least not publicly, so I, I, I want to see how the coaching carousel plays out. I want to see if there's more seats that open up, and I want to see where these big names end up, if anyone. Mike, there's a new offensive coordinator here in Chicago, and Shane Waldron. What have people told you about him? Well, I mean, look, he's, he's been successful at times. It's hard to go down the rabbit hole and glean what this means from the standpoint of whether or not they'll keep Justin Fields or make a play for Caleb Williams or someone else with the first overall pick in the draft. Sims and I were talking about this today on PFT Live. I mean, if the idea was stay the course and let's see how things work, you keep Luke Getze. The mere fact that they're changing out offensive coordinators suggests they're eventually going to change out quarterbacks. But let's just see. You know, the, the Seattle offense wasn't horrible. It was just time for a change at head coach in Seattle when Waldron moves on and now lands in Chicago, and we'll just see. We're not really going to be in a position to know what kind of coordinator he's going to be until we know who the quarterback is is going to be. And then the question becomes, what plan does he have to get the most out of the quarterback skills? The best coaches don't have a system per se. They are ready to tailor whatever things they like to do to attack a defense to the strengths and weaknesses of the players that they have. So the the big thing that still is looming over the Bears, who is the quarterback going to be? That's going to be a very interesting question over the next couple of months as they potentially trade out of the first pick or trade Justin Fields. I will say this, Mike, it is a vote of confidence in certain coaching trees, and we know some fall in and out of favor and others do not, but at least with this hire, you could say this is another vote in favor of the Sean McVay coaching tree, in favor of those who spent certain time off of the Shanahan tree, and I found that notable as well. Well, that's right, and then the question becomes, based upon the things that Shane Waldron would like to do, what skill set fits it better? But I'll say what I just said. You're better off devising your final attack plan based upon what the guy you have does best. That's what the best coaches do. And I assume 
Shane Waldron knows what the Bears are going to do. I wonder how they managed to keep their plans discreet and secret from the various candidates they interviewed, because kind of helpful to know who my quarterback's going to be if you want to know what I'm planning to do offensively. And maybe it was an either-or thing. I don't know, but I'd, I'd love to know what Shane Waldron wrote, knows right now, because if we knew that, we know exactly what the Bears are going to do at the quarterback position. Perhaps that's why there hasn't been a press conference yet, even though they officially welcomed him yesterday. I found an interesting note when it came to the discussion around Brian Callahan, who's now the Titans' new head coach. Thanks to that move, every NFL team has had a change in offensive coordinator since 2021. Wow. Not a surprise, though, because, look, that's the most important assistant coach position on a team. If you do well, you become a head coach. If you don't do well, you're out of a job and they bring in somebody else to try to do well. It's a boomer bust position. That's why I've been a firm believer that head coaches should be offensive coaches, because if you have a quarterback and an offense that's working very well and then the offense coordinator gets rewarded with a new job as a head coach elsewhere, you got to hope the next coordinator gets it done. Best example is what's going on in Buffalo. Brian Dayball took Josh Allen to new heights. Dayball gets rewarded with the head coaching job with the Giants, and they've had a hard time getting it right with the offense since then. So that's the downside to Shane Waldron. If whoever the quarterback is, if they do well, Waldron will be gone, and you got to find another offensive coordinator. Just like the Texans now have to sweat out Bobby Slowick possibly leaving because C.J. Stroud in the offense did so well this year in Houston. Matt Eberflus says he hasn't decided yet whether or not he's going to call plays. He didn't start out calling plays, but having to abruptly fire Allen Williams early in the season forced him to take up that responsibility. How can they be conducting these interviews with defensive coordinators, nominal defensive coordinators, without already having made the decision on whether or not the head coach is going to also be the defensive play caller? It might be based on the confidence level that Matt Eberflus ultimately has in whoever they hire to be a defensive coordinator. And if it's one guy, maybe you call plays. If it's another guy, maybe you step back. It ultimately comes down to whether or not the head coach is comfortable handling the micro of one play at a time, what are we doing, and the macro of the decisions that a head coach has to make on game day. Because if you're not calling plays offensively or defensively, there aren't a lot of decisions that the head coach actually makes during the game. But they're important decisions to make, such as whether or not you call a timeout when there's 30 seconds, 36 seconds left in the game and the the opposing team has taken knees prematurely and it's fourth mm-hmm. down and you have a chance to kill the clock and maybe get the ball back and advance to the next round of the playoffs, but you didn't call the timeout. Mike, what do you think of the the new process that goes into the in-person interviews? Do you think it's been helpful or has it been hurtful to candidates that are still working through the NFC Championship game, an AFC Championship well, game? Yeah, look, I think anything that slows the process down is helpful. And this year is the first year that in-person interviews of candidates under contract with other teams can't happen until the day after the divisional round. For example, the Falcons, the last time they hired a coach, They announced Arthur Smith on the 15th day of January. Here we are on January 24, and we have no idea who the Falcons are going to hire because they couldn't do in-person sit-down interviews with candidates under contract with other teams until Monday. There's still an issue with the coordinators of the teams that are still playing. I don't like the fact, for example, that Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, had four interviews between Friday and Saturday of last week just before a playoff game. That's a major distraction. Any minute that you spend 
preparing for an interview, lining up your coaching staff, submitting to the interview. And he had four of them researching the teams you're going to be talking to, putting yourself in the best position to do good interviews. Four of them in two days, that's less time you're going to have to get your team ready for the most important game of the season. In the playoffs, the next game is always the most important game of the season. And Ben Johnson was in a tough position last week because he got asked about it. What's he going to say? Yeah, it dilutes my preparation. He said, my family suffers from this, not my preparation. And I say baloney to that. You're taking away any waking moment that is spent doing anything other than preparing for that game is taking away from the preparation for that game. I'd like to see everything put on hold until after the Super Bowl as it relates to interviews of coaching candidates. I don't think they're ever going to do it, but at least we're moving in that direction by slowing the process down a little bit. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. I don't like to admit how much time I spend on the Apple News app, but it did it did cause me to find a gem of yours from yesterday. And the headline was, Why did Todd Bowles give up? And it was the decision-making process. You went into it in depth when it came to what happened against the Lions. What went into your thought process to ask this question the way you did and why? Well, you know, things happen pretty quickly in real time, especially when one playoff game is ending and another one is starting and we pivot to Chiefs' bills. And most people didn't notice this oddity that occurred at the end of the Lions-Buccaneers game, where after an interception— I mean, the Buccaneers are down by eight. There's under two minutes to play. They're trying to drive down the field, score a touchdown, get a two-point conversion, and force overtime. The Lions started taking their knees too early and letting too much, not enough time run off the clock. And I think once the Buccaneers didn't call their timeout after first down, the Lions just kind of went on autopilot. At one point, you can see the referee, Bill Vinovich, kind of look at the play clock like, what the hell's going on here? But then when they got to third down. Third and 12. They took the knee, 36 seconds were left. The Buccaneers still had a timeout. If Todd Bowles calls that timeout, what are you going to do? You're going to try a 49-yard field goal that could get blocked, that could be wide right, like a 40-some-yard field goal we saw in the Bills-Chiefs game? Are you going to punt and hope to pin the offense inside the the 20? Is it going to go in the end zone and they get it on their own 20 with maybe 30 seconds left in the game and a chance to drive down the field and force overtime. It's amazing that Todd Bowles did not call that timeout. Now he just said, well, I just assumed they'd make the field goal. Don't assume they're going to make a 49 yard field goal. It's not a chip shot. It's not automatic. They still have to do snap spot and hold. If I was a Buccaneers fan, I would be livid. And if I owned the Buccaneers and every Buccaneers fan in the world should be glad that I don't for a variety of reasons, I'd fire Todd Bowles for this. I'd have no coming back from it. And think about this alternate reality. If Bulls had called the timeout, and if the Buccaneers had gotten the ball back, and if they had driven down the field and scored the touchdown and the two-point conversion, and we go to overtime, and if they had won that game, is there any coming back from this for Dan Campbell, who misplayed the clock? And anybody that plays Madden knows how to work the clock late in the game. This whole thing was fascinating to me, and I think we all pivoted so quickly to cheap bills, we didn't really appreciate what we saw and the blown opportunity. You never give up in a game like this. This is the same team whose head coach used to have his defensive lineman dive into the knees of the offensive lineman when Greg Schiano was in Tampa. 
to try to disrupt victory formation in a slim chance to get the ball back and win a game that otherwise was lost. So I can't believe it happened. I couldn't believe it would happen in any game, regular season or postseason, but especially in a game for the birth in the NFC Championship. Unbelievable that it happened. And the more time goes by, the more upset I get about it. And and thank God I'm not a Buccaneers fan because I would divorce the Buccaneers based on something like this. And it's crazy, too, because you think about what happened the possession two possessions before where they were crazy aggressive with making sure that they went for two and an opportunity to try and and put themselves in a position to win the game for them to not call that timeout goes right against the, the, the level of aggression that was being used earlier in the game when you're trying to win it. What's amazing to me too, is nobody on that entire sideline or in the coaching booth upstairs seemed to notice what was happening. When Chris Sims and I were talking about this today, I said, what if Peyton Manning had something like this happen during his career? His head coaches were Jim Moore, the elder, Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, John Fox, and Gary Kubiak. I guarantee you, if in any of those games, especially a playoff game, but any game, this opportunity to get the ball back and potentially win the game had been squandered because the coach was ready to wave the white flag, Peyton Manning would have run out there and called timeout himself. So I'm not saying Baker Mayfield should have. I'm just saying the idea that nobody on the Buccaneers sidelines seemed to think there was anything amiss here. If they did, they kept it to themselves. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like the way the Lions mismanaged the clock, and I've never seen anything like the way Buccaneers ignored what had fallen into that manna from heaven in the form of one last chance to force overtime in this game, a non-zero chance to force overtime and eventually win the game, and they just said, nah, it's over. You it mentioned is, it's uh, baffling. Yeah, when you when you put it that way, when you talk about a fireable fireable offense, I, you is that, is that just sort of a, a a shocky take, or do you really mean that? I mean, I'd have a hard time trusting that coach with my team after that moment. It's just one of those things that seems disqualifying. How can you do this, and how can I let you continue to have the keys to this car based upon that moment? with those stakes and that opportunity that we had to win that game. And, you know, you know what's going to happen. The band is on the field. You don't know what's going to happen. They had a situation earlier in the year on a Thursday night in Buffalo where they had the ball at their own 20 with less time. And Baker Mayfield, they got near the 50. He threw a beautiful Hail Mary pass that there was interference in the end zone that wasn't called. And Chris Godwin didn't bother to, you know, look up in the air to see if the ball was coming down and could have caught it if he was. You never know what's going to happen. So I just, I would be very upset if I was the owner of the team and I'd want to sit down with Todd Bowles and I'd want to have a heart to heart about what in the hell happened there. And he would need to tell me a pretty damn good story as to why he didn't call that time out before I'd be comfortable giving him the whistle moving forward. Mike, I've only been divorced in the state of Texas, but is it possible that there's a reason Tyreek Hill didn't seem to know that he was getting one? And look, this I struggle with this. For 99.9% of the players out there, it's completely irrelevant what they're going through in their personal life. But when you make it part of your public narrative, when Tom Brady and his ex-wife, when that's part of his story, how can you ignore it? When Tyreek Hill and his newlywed wife are featured on Hard Knocks, and he says after he suffers an ankle injury on a Monday night game, I went back and played because I texted my wife at halftime and she said, get your ass back in there. There's a certain point where it becomes fair game. So the story comes out yesterday He disputes it, and it's like, dude, take it up with the circuit clerk of Broward County. All you got to do, and it's very easy to find. You you, you Google it, 
You type in his name and there it is. He filed a petition for dissolution of marriage on Monday. It came out on Tuesday and he denied that he ever did it. So I don't know what's going on here. And maybe it's as simple as the papers haven't been served yet. And he didn't want her to know the papers were coming. That, that can be an issue from time to time. But that's a weird one. But but we we take it case by case, whether we're even going to cover because, you know, the knee jerk reaction for a lot of people is it's none of our business. The athletes and celebrities make it our business. You can't say, hey, everybody, look at me and then selectively say, what the hell are you looking at? And I think Tyree Kill, given the way his marriage became public, I think it became fair game. But I struggled with it. I still will struggle with it going forward. But it's just a weird one. I don't know how Tyree Kill thinks that he's going to file that paperwork and people aren't going to find out. Mike, as always, we appreciate your time, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Have a great week. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.